We're in this series, the third week, called Culture Wars, and what we're doing is we're walking through the book of First Peter, which is in the New Testament, um, and we've walked through a couple of, you know, maybe controversial topics, kind of really talking about, you know, how should we behave and how should we live based, uh, based on what the Word says as Christians, what the Bible says, how are we supposed to interact and live out there in the world and interact with other people, how are we supposed to do that when it seems like the culture is opposing a lot of our views and a lot of our beliefs, right? It seems like there's a war constantly, even in, internally in us, when we go out in the world to work and, and we go to school and, and we do the different hobbies and things that we do, it seems like there is a constant struggle between the life uh, that we're supposed to live spiritually and the life that is constantly tempting us out there. Maybe our friends and our family and our co-workers certainly butt up against the beliefs and the ideas and the values that we have. And, and so we believe that Peter is writing this book to churches to help them understand, look, this is what it's going to be like as a Christian. As you're living out there in the world, I want to warn you. I want you to be prepared. I want you to have uh, some basic doctrines and some understandings, some theological understandings. Um, I want you to understand that no matter what you go through, whether it's trials, whether it's suffering, um, to endure, to stand, and while you do that, you can look with hope to the future, with, with eternity in mind for what Jesus has already done. We can take Jesus's model of suffering and say, hey, I can do that too. If my life is supposed to be modeled after him and I'm supposed to be conformed to his image, then I can do that too. I feel like that's what Peter is saying all throughout this book. Now today, I think is going to be the most controversial of all of them because it's going to get a little bit closer to home. A lot of the topics we've been talking about, you know, while maybe have affected us, this one will affect us uh, closest at home because we're going to be talking a lot about marriage and about men and women and roles. And so I first off just want to say, uh, you know, just to be honest, a little bit nervous, right? I don't want you to kill the messenger here. <laughs> I, the Bible says what it says, and I, my job is to, to, say, or to, to read it to you, to interpret it to you, to share it with you. And, and I'll share some of my views and my opinions and, and other people's views and opinions, but Along the way, I do believe that there is a, a proper and correct understanding uh, of theology and doctrine when we get into these issues. Um, and that kind of brings me, before we get into that, I wanted to bring up a verse that's in this chapter that's so important for us to understand as we are thinking about what the Bible says and how we're supposed to maybe use that as a, to make a defense um, when we're talking to non-Christian people or people don't, that don't quite understand, maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't quite fully understand what God's Word says about all these different topics and issues, and that's why you're here. Thank you for being here, right? But this verse in 1 Peter really just compels me to continue on in fighting this war, right? And, and so here's what it says. It's actually in verse 15, but I want to read 14 for some context. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I believe that this is how 
we ought to behave out there in the world. We ought to be ready to make a defense for what we believe. Know what you believe and be able to share it. And, and so again, that's why we gather as a church. We, we, we uh, um, try to empower you. We try to equip you with the word, with the truth. That word right there, make a defense, is where we get this word apologetics. And apologetics is like a branch of theology where we contend for the faith. We, you've probably seen different people argue about different issues and debate, and that's where we get this word from, actually. It's apologia is that word to make a defense, um, to answer for, to, to clear for, to speak for yourself, to excuse, right? And so it's not like, apologetics kind of sounds like an apology, and it's kind of a similar root word. We're not saying sorry, but we are uh, trying to answer for, right? We're trying to give an account for what we believe in. And so apologetics then is the intellectual defense of the truth of the Christian religion, usually considered a branch of theology. So I bring that up because of that's, that generally applies to all the different things that we believe about Christianity. And I believe it also applies today because we're going to talk about a certain view, a biblical view on the family. And that's the war that we're going to have today. In our own hearts, maybe in your own marriage, maybe we all believe different things about roles and about our, our roles at home and, and marriage and men and women in society and men and women in the church. Um, the culture certainly has this wrong. The culture certainly has putting out misinformation out there, and we've got to know what the Word says but sometimes the word says things, God says things, that we don't agree with. We don't like. They make us feel a certain way. Uh, we start to make excuses. We try to work our way around things because we just, on the inside, don't like it. But that's not an excuse for not living in it, believing in it, trusting it. Sometimes it takes a little bit of suffering to follow God's word a little bit, right? And to... to, to to uh, die to the flesh, to, to live for God, and to set aside my, my feelings and emotions sometimes, to just trust and believe that his way is better than the world's way and better than my way. So that's the war we're in today. We're first going to talk about what the culture says about the family, the misinformation, and then we're going to talk about what the Bible says. So let's just get right into it. The culture says, I'm the boss of me. Right? And, but the Bible says that we should submit to authority. Going back to last week, chapter 2, we talked about submitting to authority. God put authority in our lives, in society, in place for specific reasons. And they're not always right about how they lead, but in general, the Bible says that they're supposed to be rewarders of good and punish evil. Now, we th I think the world has that wrong oftentimes and tries to reward evil and punish good, all right? And so what do we do in that moment? And, and there's this big struggle, like how do I submit to authority when my authority is evil? And, and there's some nuance and complexity to that, but it is a command that we should submit to authority. We should seek to submit to authority. We shouldn't be so rebellious. And me, naturally, I am a little bit rebellious. I like, as soon as authority comes up, I'm like, oh man, get away from me. You know, I am the boss of me. That's, that's what I think in my own heart and my mind. And I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. That is a thing that I struggle with. But, but I think that 
Jesus is the example. He's the model, and he, even though he was being crucified and led to death, he didn't try to fight his way out of it. He, he submitted to that, ultimately, because he believed that that was God's plan, even over man's plan. And so, for us to understand that even while we look out at the world and some things are evil and bad, how much does God want me to, to submit to this, and how much does he want me to stand up for my faith? And we talked about that last week, all right? But that carries on to talking about family now. And, and this is, the, here's the big one. This is the verse that, or one of the, the concepts I wanted to uh, have this verse, or a verse like it read at my wedding, but my wife didn't want it. And here's what it says. In the same way, in 1 Peter chapter 3, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Now you can see why we didn't read that at my wedding, right? Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. And so this brings up that word, that bad word called submission. Um, and in context, Peter's actually talking about like, and if you're a wife of a husband who's not a believer, or maybe he's just, uh, you know, maybe a weak believer or, or brand new to the faith or not, not a believer at all, He's saying, submit, even though that they're not living a godly life, your example in submission, like we talked about last week, will be a light to him. Your example in honoring him and, and wanting to respect your husband might actually get him to the point to say, hey, whoa, what's up with this Christianity thing? Like, it's turning my wife into such an amazing woman. Man, maybe I ought to buy into this thing, Right? Maybe that's what that's saying, right? I, I believe that what it's saying that, that we can make our faith more attractive by being less rebellious and more obedient sometimes. And in this situation, it's in a, in a, in a marital situation. Now, let's talk about what submission means. In, in our article at PursueGod.org, if you go check this out for the sermon notes today, it says this, the word submission means to voluntarily arrange yourself under another, that means it's not about who is superior or inferior, but it's simply an arrangement to bring order to family life. So rather than seeking autonomy from her husband, a wife should seek to be a team player in support of his leadership. And, and one thing I wanted to zero in right there where it says bring arrangement or, or, or simply an arrangement to bring order, order to family life I believe, I believe the Bible speaks, as so do we at Alpine Church, believe that the Bible speaks to a created order in which God put in place. He did, the Bible says, that he put authorities in place. There are roles, there are, there are uh, hierarchies in the Bible, okay? And so we believe that bringing things into order means living the order in which God put in place. And we're going to see that, that God did put the order in place that in a marriage relationship, the husband ought to be a leader. He ought to be the spiritual leader first and foremost, um, but he, he also ought to have uh, the respect of a leader in his home. Actually, uh, when I do a lot of marriage counseling, we read this book um, called Love and Respect. Maybe you've heard of it before. Is that by Edgar Riches, I think? Um, and, and the concept of this book is, is based off a verse in Ephesians 5, and it says, it says something along the lines of, uh, Husbands, see to it that you love your wives, and wives, see to it that you respect your husbands. And it kind of gives this 
idea that out of everything, you know, women want to be loved and cherished, but men, it's not necessarily, that's not their highest need from their wife. They, would, they want to be respected. That's just built into us as men. We would rather have more respect than love, actually. Now, we want love, but I think higher on the list for us in priorities would be respect, and I believe that that's how God, God made us, all right? And um, that was before. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's, that's only because of, you know, the fall and sin and all of that, and um, but no, before, before the fall, before Adam and Eve, you know, God created Adam, and he was all alone, right? And so um, it's interesting, you know, that when he was all alone and God said it's not good for him to be alone, God took a rib out of his side and, and made a whole other person and a whole other type of human being called woman. We had man, and then he made woman out of man, and there's so much to that that we don't even fully understand but there are a lot of uh, implications to that. There's a lot of things that that can mean for us in our lives. But one thing it does mean is that man was created first, then came woman, and he, he brought them back together to be one so that they could serve one another, love one another. But there was ultimately still roles in that, that relationship. And then the fall made it worse. The fall made it worse, and here's what it says. Uh, the men, they got to work hard, they got to toil by the sweat of their brow. Um, thorns and thistles will come to the ground. Life's going to be hard. And then here's what it says about women. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, is that... The, Husbands, is that the reason why we fight so much with our wives? <laughs> I, I, now, there are different translations of this, okay? Some say her desire will be for you or be contrary to her husband, but he will rule over you. This is a sense in which where God is kind of showing us that from here on out, you're going to have struggles in marriage, basically. There's going to be this struggle for possibly power, um, there's going to be a struggle, uh, and it's not going to go well because you guys decided to fall away from me and go. So it's going to be bad, basically. And just as a side note, um, you know, the sharpening the pain in pregnancy, I wonder if pregnancy wouldn't have been so bad if the fall wouldn't have happened. Because I know more human beings needed to be, you know, procreated, but my wife's getting ready to have our fourth baby, and uh, she, we've been like, She's teaching me how to coach her through this whole process and stuff and tell her, you got this. And, and you know, she wants to try to do it without, without you know, medication and do it all natural and stuff. And, and you know, all, good, good luck <laughs> to, me and, uh, to me and her. You know, it's going to be pretty hard on me, but, and I'm sure it'll be bad on her as well. <laughs> um, no, but there's a... You know, there's a beauty in accepting, I think. I think there's a view on that, that there's a beauty in accepting the fact that there's going to be a, some pain alongside of this, and I'm just going to own it, right? And so right off the bat, we see that he will rule over you. Now, I, I don't know exactly if that's just a, again, it's not a result of the fall, but the result of the fall is that that relationship is going to have tension because of both of you being imperfect in my order. Now, here actually is the um, New Testament version 
of what Paul is saying what wives should do in, in their role in the marriage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as the Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should, should submit in everything to their husbands. Again, now, this is, this is, is, is going to bother our culture. If, if you're in here today and you, you're not even a, a Christian and, and you haven't heard this stuff before, maybe you've heard bad things about Christianity, we're going to talk about good submission and bad submission. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, what what God meant by this and how he modeled it to us. And, and we're also going to talk about how people have misused this. This does not mean that you must be walked all over as a wife, right? This doesn't mean that husbands can do whatever they want to their wives and they must submit. Actually, do you see what it says? It says that, you know, Christ is the head of the church and we're going to find out that, that the husband is supposed to submit to Christ. And so a husband not submitted to Christ um, might not be worth submitting to. It's going to be a lot harder to submit to. And so if he's not playing his role, then it's going to be a lot harder for the wife to be in her role. Although women are called to suffering in the situation where their husband isn't believing and you can be a light to them. Do you see how complicated this whole thing is for me, guys, trying to explain this to you? So give me grace here, all right? But we're going to keep moving on about this, this whole idea of, of roles in marriage, men and women. And we're, we're walking through the first seven, eight verses of 1 Peter, so we're going to take it in, in context and in order. Okay, so that's how it started. Now, another misinformation on the family is this, that beauty is skin deep. What the Bible says, that beauty comes from within. Here's what 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4 says. Don't be concerned about... The outward beauty, he's still talking to women in the first four, four verses or so. Of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes, you should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Now again, we've talked about this before in a different uh, series on anthropology, but just the differences between men and women and and that, um, for the most part, women have uh, some stronger attributes in certain areas than men do. And one of them is uh, gentleness. And not that I'm not called to be gentle as well, but I know that my, naturally my wife is just more gentle. She has to remind me all the time. She reminds me before I come up and preach all the time. Now, be gentle to them, you know. <laughs> be kind, Right? And so uh, that's why we're such a good team, by the way. But this is saying um, that, that women ought to, to seek to, to honor God and be spiritual in their spiritual lives before they focus on the outward beauty. It's not saying that you can't put, up, put on makeup. It's not saying you can't wear jewelry. It's not saying that you shouldn't. It's just that in your priorities, if, if, if a woman cares about beauty over being playing in the role that God put her in and putting God first and his word first in her life, then that's no good. Because God, God it's precious to God when a woman is gentle and, and quiet in spirit and she plays the role in which God created her to play in. All right, And, and 1 Timothy actually 
uh, reiterates this. He says that I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves. But by the way they fix their hair, by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes, for women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do. And then when I was searching out this concept in the Bible, I ran across a verse that was kind of funny. So I thought I'd put it up there. It says, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. And so the, the, the idea behind this is that when a woman only f- focuses on beauty on the outward, it's not very attractive. It's not very attractive to God. It's not, it, it's not really what the focus should be in a Christian woman's life. Her first focus ought to be to be submit to the Lord. First, first and foremost. So, the next misinformation on the family. Patriarchy is evil. Now, that word patriarchy, if you're not sure what that means, it just means father over, you know. Father over, men over. There's this concept out there in the world that it should, the society shouldn't be led by men and, and that even, you know, the biblical way of doing things is so old-fashioned Um, But we're saying that, no, it's not evil. It's not bad. It's not wrong. Now, it's been misused in the past. But just think about this concept. God is a father. He calls himself God the Father. He literally is the patriarchy. You know, he literally is over all of us, right? So there's nothing wrong with allowing fathers to lead their families and to, to be Um, representatives out there in the community and the world of their families and to be respected for that position that is a position that God gave men to live in is to be respected as the father and the husband of the the wife and and the family but here's what the Bible says that godly men do exist although that men have and I just want you to know this like I'm not advocating for um, domineering controlling Men who say, do whatever I say, and say that women are not equal to us, and um, not allowing them to have certain rights and certain privileges, and certainly our world, our country, but even our world has suppressed and oppressed women since the beginning of time, and we recognize that as men. And, and I want to say that, that not all of us want to have control in everything. Actually, in my own marriage, I submit to my wife in a lot of things. A lot of things. She, she makes decisions on a lot of things in our family and in our household. She's better at a lot of things than I am, right? And so again, we're a team, but godly men do exist out there in the world, even though the news will show you that they don't. Even though there's a movement of maybe what you could say modern feminism that tries to uh, dismiss the differences and to dismiss the roles that God gave men. But it's, it's not what it seems like. Men aren't called to just be the controllers and the decision makers. They're called to be the servant leaders, the ones that lay their lives down. As we go on in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. So we must honor our wives as equals with us, and we should treat them 
Consider it. That's what that word understanding is, to consider their needs. And if you think about Christ as we're supposed to be submitted to Christ, and husbands will see in this next verse that husbands should love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her. It says, treat your wives in an understanding way. Consider her needs above yours. Lay your life down for her. Men, we ought to be able to lay our life down for the women in our world when it makes sense, when, when it doesn't go against God's word. We should be willing to do that more often than not. We should be able to look at our lives or our wives, understand them, and say, how can I consider her needs above my own? One person said this to me one time. This is it says, know your wife, like understand her. Take the time to figure out her love languages and, and the things that make her feel honored and make her feel loved. You know, a, a husband, a godly man wouldn't just say, well, this is the way I was created and made and I'm going to treat you the way I treat you and you're just going to have to handle that. No, we, we must work hard to be like Christ who gave his life up for the church because that's really an analogy of what the church or what a marriage really is, 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 is God's relationship with us through Christ. He says, in the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. You should be cherishing and nourishing and feeding. And that's the high responsibility of being a leader, by the way. The high responsibility of being a leader is the one that should be feeding and nourishing and caring for and, and, and putting their needs above yours. That's the high responsibility of what a leader should be living in. But back to the idea of this patriarchy being evil, well, I don't necessarily see headship or submission or roles in the Bible as being evil. I can't necessarily, it's really hard to find places in the Bible where that's spoken of in the Christian family as negative, but over and over again, we have all these verses that show us, but I want, in 1 Corinthians eleven three. but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. You see that even in the Trinity, Jesus submits to the Father, and he's willing to, to come under. Even though he's equal, he's willing to do the Father's will. He wants to respect and honor the Father, and that is the same way in which a husband ought to live, not for his own gain, not for his own glory, but for the glory of his wife, he's going to lay down his life. He's going to submit to Christ and do the things he says, and he's going to act like Christ, and he's going to lay his life down for his wife. One more misinformation on the family. Men and women are the same. But we believe that men and women are equal, not necessarily the same. And let's go on in 1 Peter 3, 7 to see what that says. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Let me quickly say that, men, if you don't treat your wives right, don't plan on God answering your prayers, first and foremost. <laughs> it says, treat her as you should so your prayers won't be hindered. That's a thing that I, I'm accountable to God in his leadership of me to treat my wife 
the way he wants me to treat her. But here's what this truth says, and other versions say weaker vessel, and we've all wrestled over what does this mean. Well, I can say for sure, I think we can all agree, I hope, that it can mean physically. Women physically, for the most part, are built differently than men are. And like men have, uh, you know, like a 12% a uh, larger lung capacity and heart to be able to pump more blood, a, a larger wingspan. You know, the average height of a man is taller than the average height of a woman. Um, all of these different things show us my wife can have a baby and I can't, right? That certainly makes us different. Not the same in everything. We're not the same. I can't play the role of of caring, compassionate mother who can, who, who can nurse a child, Right? I can't play that. And in, in some sense, that's, that's something that she, women can do that are greater than men. They can actually form a human life inside of them. All right? Like that, that alone should bring honor to women. So we're not the same physically. I think about a story I just read. I just read it. I'm sure you guys have been watching the Olympics or whatever, but I just read a story of how the culture has this so wrong um, with, you know, with, with, with men trying to, um, I don't know what you call it. What do you call it? When men try to transition into being women um, in sports, like the swimming team, University of Pennsylvania, now, uh, you know, a guy who was on this team decides to transition into becoming a woman, and now now he's beating all these records because of that. And I was just reading that now there are two people and they're, they're against each other and they're facing off and they're the, the one, top one and two are two men who are trying to become women. How fair is that? Like, does that make any, it just doesn't make sense to the created order. And I understand that people have, you know, feelings and, and thoughts and temptations and, and struggles, but... If we don't ever talk about these things as a church, if we don't ever talk about them with our families, if we don't talk about them, if we don't know what the Bible says in some of these, if we don't make a defense for what we believe, that there is a differences in, in men and women, then they're just going to continue to, I mean, we're, we're going to continue, the church will probably continue to give in to these things and change, and, and we won't be holding the same message that we should be holding to, which is the word of God that doesn't change. The word of God does not change. That is the church's job is to preach the word in season and out of season, when it's popular and when it's not popular. It's not popular for me to be talking about this stuff right now, but it's still the word of God and nothing has changed. Now, a lot of people try to say, well, that was cultural back then, and, and there are Christians who try to People who call themselves Christians who try to argue about these things and try to give, you know, gracious explanations of these things. And, and certainly, I want to be gracious, but I also want to follow the truth. And so that brings up this idea. It's a theological concept called complementarianism. I believe complementarianism is the middle ground between two extremes. And let me just read to you what that means. It means that it's complement, not complement. It's something that completes or make perf makes perfect either of two parts or things needed to complete the whole counterpart. So basically what it says is that men and women are counterparts 
They're not the same, they're different, but that's beautiful. And so the other view is egalitarian view. I believe that's, that's the one extreme that says that there is no differences in roles or anything else. And then the other extreme is, is domineering, male-controlled, um, abusive views on, on marriage and society that we've seen in the past, right? Now, complementarian means that we just complete each other. And if you go back to the created order when God created man and woman, then he, he took... He took a rib out of the side of Adam and then made woman and brought them back together as one. Um, he did that so that when we come together as one, we actually complete each other with uh, di- different characteristics that we don't have on our own, right? Women don't have some, some of those certain things on their own, and men don't have them on their own. And when we come together, we're a better, fuller, more complete image of God. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing. And when we try to rob the differences and say everybody's the same, we take away the beauty of the distinctions. And therefore, I believe that complementarianism is the, the view in which, and that kind of brings up one last thing, <laughs> is that not only in marriage are there differences and distinctions, but even in the church, and so many people have asked me, you know, why, why don't we have, like, women preachers or women pastors? Well, we believe that that's the role that God says that he observes for, for men alone, to be the pastor or the preacher at the church. And we get that verse from 1 Timothy 2, chapter 12. He says, I do not let women teach or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. Now, in, out of context or, you know, just one verse and not understanding that, that can be offensive right off the bat. But let me just say this. While we don't have pastors and teacher women at the church, this does not mean that women can't lead. I believe this is talking about church, all right? Like the, the Sunday service preaching out to you guys in the crowd, you know, having authority with the word, teaching men and women, but this doesn't mean that women can't lead and teach. I would probably say that I think I have just as many women, if not more women leaders, than I do have men here. My wife is the worship leader. She's, she's leading us in song. Now, she's not, like, extending authority over you, but she, she leads in song, right? But she also leads a team of people, and, and some men are on that as well. And, and Kathy, Kathy is the kids' church director. And let me just say this. When this church has had leaders that have left or, or the church has been struggling or whatever it is. Kathy, the woman, was here holding this place together. She was, she was holding this place together. She was working so hard because she loves this church because she is a, a wonderful example and model of a wonderful leader woman, right? And so I don't want you to misinterpret this or, or, or misunderstand that this is somehow, you know, sexist or, or, or wrong. It's just that we want to believe what the Bible says over what culture says and over sometimes what is hard for us to understand. The Bible says these things, and so we must have conviction to follow them, right? And so I've said a lot of hard things today. 
And if you have any questions about that, I would certainly love to talk to you more. There's a bonus point that if you want to go find that bonus point, I want you to go to pursuegod.org um, forward slash AC and, and find out the bonus point and talk about that in your small group. But I hope today that this spurs conversation and you go and talk about it. And if you have questions for me or any of the leadership at the church, we would love to answer those questions. And maybe you have a different view. And I want you to understand that it's okay to have a different view of this. It really is. And I, again, I come off as, as kind of harsh and, and, you know, not so gentle sometimes. I want you to know that my passion is just for the word of God, not to be, you know, dogmatic or domineering in any way. But I do feel so convicted that even if I have hurt or offended someone, um, I have to tell you what the word says. I'm not going to just not put it up there and not talk about it because I feel like that that's my, my job. And so with that, I do want you to know that, you know, there is some suffering involved in following God's word, you know, and things that we don't fully understand or believe in. But that's really what submission is, is kind of laying aside and voluntarily coming under. And so today I want us to voluntarily come under the Lord and his word and just seek this out and learn more about it. There's so much more we could talk about, but um, I love you guys. And if you have any more questions, please come and talk to me or one of our overseers about this. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I know that the, sometimes these topics are heavy and, and we don't even have, you know, in 30, 35 minutes, we don't have enough time to explain all of these truths. And I just pray that whatever was said in your words that were said today, I pray that my words, if they're not of you, would be forgotten. But I pray that your words would be remembered and it would come into each and every one of us and help us to want to learn to honor you first and foremost, live by what your word says and not by what the culture says. Um, and I pray that we would stand for truth, that we would learn to know why we believe what we believe and why we live the way we live. God, and help all of this glorify you because that is our goal in this, is to glorify and honor you. That is the purpose of our existence. And I know we think our existence is for us and for our families and for this and for that, and, but really the number one goal is to glorify you with all that you've given us to do and to be. And so help us to do that even in tough topics like this today. I pray grace and, and peace over everyone here today, God, and that you would help people to go have conversations about this in their families with their friends, and, and hopefully they do it with gentleness and respect. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.